gentlemen, are you prepared to unveil your summer bod? You know, the beaches are opening, the sun is shining, and the bushes must be tamed. Manscaped is here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for the wild. And can I tell you something here, folks? I actually have one of these. Look, I'm going to be transparent with you. You know, I'm reading an ad here, but I actually own this and I use it and it's perfectly, it does the job. So like, there's my plug for this is uh, I, I happen to see an ad for this myself and I was like, I'm going to get that and it works. It's good. It's like, it's perfectly fine and good. So you should check this out right now for limited time. Subscribers can get two free gifts. I got them. They are swell. Uh, the shed travel bag. It's a, that's a $39 value added right there. Uh, and the high performance reduced chafing manscaped boxer briefs. And you can get 20% off too. And free shipping. Use the code the athletic 20 at manscaped.com. So go to manscaped.com today. Use the code, the athletic 20, get you 20% off and you can be as cool as me. Hey folks, welcome into On to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Patrick Mooney and Sahadev Sharma, who were undoubtedly taking in with uh, ravenous excitement the Cubs games against the White Sox, exhibition games the last two nights. So, yo, Sahadev, what did you, I mean, immediate reactions? Like, boom, I'm throwing it right to you. What do you got from those games? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously the sky is falling, uh, you know. You Darvish struggled mightily in that first inning. The offense is kind of MIA. So I say we panic. Eloy Jimenez with the grand slam. Definitely reason to panic. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I would say, like, I, I'm not. Uh, I came into I when spring shut down, I was optimistic about the Cubs overall. And uh, and it's not that I'm not in the same place as far as being uh, optimistic that this team could be good over a 162 game season I'm a little concerned about a 60 game season they don't have that April to figure out their bullpen to let guys kind of figure things out and for things to shake out and overall that's that would be my concern it has nothing to do with the last few games I think just with just taking everything in over the last couple of weeks I've, I've come to the conclusion like ooh, if guys aren't where they were on March 12th when everything shut down this could be a little bit harder for them to find a rhythm and, and get going uh as on a season as a whole, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not taking too much away from these last couple of games outside of having some fun with it. I'm already working on my think piece about how, you know, when the white Sox have their world series parade, how weird it's going to be when they can't have, you know, fans everywhere. I think that was the overall tone on Twitter personally. Uh, obviously we spent months waiting for baseball to get back and then these meaningless practice games happened and they're a little boring, I think, uh, (laughs) when they don't count, you know? And then, I mean, in full candor, I didn't really watch last night because I was working on all of our season preview stuff, but, um, yeah, it's nice that baseball's back, I guess, even if it's meaningless, I think, uh, it'll be fun to see kind of what happens, uh, on Friday night and certainly, um, you know, I am looking forward to the Cubs White Sox games when they matter. I think those six could, you know, really swing a season, uh, either way. So I'm not getting too grumpy right from the start, but it's kind of like, you know, we're talking about practice here, you know, 
practice, practice, we're talking about <laughs> practice. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's funny that at a meta level, we as the people who cover these things aren't going to have an opportunity to uh, get in the swing of a month of spring training where we, you know, toe that delicate balance between like, okay, these are kind of games. Let's be excited and deconstruct what it means, but also don't worry, this doesn't matter. And we, we sort of were thrust right into the um, don't worry, it doesn't matter mode. And uh, to that end, <laughs> I mean, I genuinely think, you know, my take when I watch games like this, I'm focusing a little bit more on, fringier roster guys because i think psychologically they know where they are and i think that you can sort of see they have less flexibility than someone like you darvish would to be out there like eh, i want to play with something really specific against this type of batter in this type of count just kind of see where i'm at physically just make sure my arm feels good so whatever that first inning, literally my only takeaway was it was kind of funny to see Eloy hit the grand slam. Like it was just sort of funny and funny to see people freaking out. And at least it wasn't Jose Quintana. So we don't necessarily have to get right into that mode. Um, but I think that one thing that I've seen definitely a lot of people talking about, and when I say people, you know, we're, we're talking about fans. We're talking about people who aren't necessarily trying to put the most sophisticated spin on things not that we always do either but um the message you see is that okay where was the offense you know like nobody nobody who's really strongly associated with what we expect the cubs offense to be really did much of anything in these games you know jason kipnis hit a home run uh cal schwarber smoked a couple balls um that was it i mean it just there was not much to see on the offensive side and i think we all know enough to know that two games of a fake variety, particularly, they just don't mean anything, but it does at least set up the conversation that we haven't necessarily had. Like, what are we thinking about the Cubs offense going into this season? I mean, um, we know that anybody can get hot or cold for 60 games. Um, I think often about the uh, stretch that Chris Bryant was having last year um, before, uh, he had to quiet down because of injury. I mean, he was looking like the best he's ever looked at the plate. And I just wonder if, uh, I don't know. I mean, like what, give me, give me something that you've been thinking about with respect to the offense, um, that you're particularly excited to see starting to actually unfold on Friday. And, and then over the course of 60 games. For me, like I, when I look at this offense, I think, uh, I'm, I'm confident in the core four or whatever you want to call them of Wilson, Rizzo, Bryant, and Hobby. I guess we'll have more on Rizzo soon enough. I'm kind of expecting him to be there unless there's a setback today. What day is today? Tuesday. We're recording on a Tuesday. Uh, I, I expect him to be Rizzo. I expect Bryant to, even though Bryant hasn't opened eyes or anything during this training camp, I expect him to what be. What would himself. that even Wilson look like, looks, by the way? Like if Chris, if Chris I, freaking I mean, Bryant, like, balls, yeah. oh my gosh, what is this guy? He's come out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I guess I'm just, what I'm saying is I haven't even really like noticed him in a sense outside of batting practice when he, you know, launches balls onto the street. Uh, it's just it, it's like oh he's quietly going about his business and and, and getting ready for the season. Uh, Hobby's smoking balls. Wilson looks locked in, and and I wrote about Wilson on defense today with his framing, and I think he's just he I think he's going to be great this year overall. 
So those four guys I just trust. I just think I know what I'm getting as long as they're healthy. It's the rest of the offense I just don't know. Uh, Ross kind of uh, suggested that he believes Schwarber should be put into that category. Like, you know what you're going to get. He's he's going to bring there. And looking back at last season, I was kind of surprised that it was like two weeks that he was terrible in April. He started off like a hot week. And then it was two weeks where he had like a sub 400 OPS, just like abysmal just a really dread and then the rest of the season he was over 900 OPS so I mean that's that's pretty damn good right that's basically what Chris Bryant was for the full season and obviously Bryant probably would have been better if the knee wasn't banged up I I just I want to see what Schwarber does I want to see what Hap does Nico's been really interesting in the sense that that's desperately what they need a contact guy and he does just kind of hit the ball hard all over the place I don't know if he's going to get to double digit home runs in a full season or what I just don't know what, what that'll end up being, but I, I like him a lot. I think those guys are kind of the key, those three. And then if someone sneaks up, like out of the Souza, Kipnis, Almora area, but it's a, I think my key is Schwarber, Hap, and the young kid, Nico, doing something. And even in, I'd throw Vic in there as well. So there's a lot of options. I guess my point is I'm seeing a lot of options of depth, and I <laughs> – I'm trying not to judge too much over the last two days. I know it, I I know it seeps into my brain and it, and it kind of colors my opinion uh, when when I see the offense struggle in meaningless games. Even though I know it's meaningless, it still comes in. But overall, I think I can see this being a really good offense. But I also have said that for the last few years. So who the hell knows? <laughs> yeah, I think from that core four group you're talking about, Sahadev, <clears throat> it's not unreasonable to think like any one of them could win an MVP award in a 60 game season, or I mean, even in a 162 game season that the elite talent <clears throat> is certainly there. I think it's been interesting though. I mean, you've asked, I think it was Ross and I posted about this of this kind of idea that the offense is going to have to carry the team. And Ross kind of said, um, yeah. And you know, Ross took this job, you know, talking up his pitching and defense and catching background and, Obviously, in 2016, they won with, uh, you know, just unbelievable pitching and defense. And that game planning system, you know, worked really well, even when the Cubs were terrible, you know, when they were kind of coaching up the Ryan Dempsters and the Jeff Samarges and really kind of maximizing performance. I think this offense is going to have to out hit a lot of mistakes that this pitching staff might make uh, to make up for some of these gaps we might see uh in the pitching staff whether it's a COVID outbreak or just kind of the normal attrition or you know who knows what this ramp up is going to mean for pitchers arms once we get into what is it 17 or 18 games in a row to start um the season so that to me was I thought was kind of a it's hard to pick up on any subtlety on this endless stream of zooms and staring at uh, computer screens, but I do think that was kind of a subtle messaging shift of, you know, our offense has to carry us because, you know, when Tyler Chatwood's your number three starter and when Craig Kimbrell is your closer coming off a really bad half season and you don't have a lot of established veteran arms in your bullpen and John Lester's still kind of ramping up, there's just a, a lot of you know, questions on, on a pitching staff that has really been the backbone of this era of Cubs baseball. 
I want to take a moment here to talk about Dugout Mugs. So uh, Dugout Mugs, it's a company that started in a college baseball dugout, hence the name, Dugout Mugs. And basically, they're, they're taking the barrel of a baseball bat and turning it into a 12-ounce mug. So kind of a cool thing to be drinking out of. Baseball's going to be coming back. You're going to have your beer. And uh, why not drink, like, out of a baseball bat? Uh, they're licensed by MLB. You can get your favorite team laser engraved onto a birch wood baseball bat barrel mug. Just awesome. I mean, you can put it on display. You don't have to drink out of it. It's a cool-looking thing if you just want a decoration. But also nice to have a little beer while you're uh, having your mug. So, uh, you know, get it for a friend. Get it for yourself. Um, maybe get you a little bit back into the baseball spirit when the games return this week. So uh, go to dugoutmugs.com slash the athletic and use the promo code MLB30 for 30% off your first purchase. That's dugoutmugs.com slash the athletic and the code is MLB30. And you can fill that baseball void with your very own dugout mug and maybe a little bit of beer today. Uh, while we're talking about the offense, you know, a guy who he basically never comes up in this conversation and I understand why it is. It's justifiable that he doesn't really come up, but I can't get him out of my head when I think about who could make a noticeable impact this year. And it's Jason Hayward. And here's why, um, you know, we know the start to this contract has not been what people hoped for, uh, on the offensive side of things, but we do know there are also some injury explanations, some swing mechanical issues that, that sort of flowed from the injury issues that first year. And he has progressed back to being slightly above average overall contributor at the plate uh, as of last year. And uh, I think we've talked about this before, or if we haven't, it's been the subject of conversation at my site, Bleacher Nation, and I, I know that you guys have gotten into it at The Athletic. Um, Last year, Hayward was very, very good um, in almost all situations, except when he was asked to lead off for a stretch midseason when it was, you know, Joe Madden was trying to figure out what he was going to do. Um, and there's a lot on paper about Hayward that you would think could play as a leadoff hitter, even though he himself has said in the past that it's not really his gig. Um, and then also, historically, he's never been great against lefties. And so um, last year when he was leading off and when he was facing lefties, particularly both of those at the same time, his, he was, it was almost a zero, just almost a flat zero that really skewed his overall production. You know, when he was batting down in the order and when he was facing righties, he was fantastic. I mean, his numbers were like all-star level. And I think what I wonder is now with David Ross at the helm, different relationship there, new guy coming in. Sometimes you just need that newness to sort of change the way we're willing to think about things. I am optimistic, maybe blindly so, that Hayward, still only 30, is going to be put in a, a better position to succeed this year. And thanks to his own work, his health, all these things, I actually think he's going to be really productive this year. And, um, and in a 60-game season, if you're in a hot streak in that productive window, your numbers can look absolutely obscene. So, uh, you know, I don't know. He's a guy that just doesn't get the chatter because of the, the core four more that we talk about in Schwarber and maybe some sexier, younger guys that we think about the upside, like a Hap or a Horner, but like, you know, Jason Hayward, not just the glove. Yeah. You know, I, I, I agree with all you're saying there. I, I think I want to see for sure 
that Ross is not going to put him in there against lefties. Obviously, he started him yesterday against Keuchel, and that was a, a different situation because it's uh, exhibition, and I think he wanted to see how it looked, uh, wanted to get him at bats against a lefty. He even kind of intimated in the post-game interview how I think someone said the offense has looked rough the past couple of days. Just what are you taking away from that? And he made the point that he had some lefties in the lineup today against a tough lefty. Uh, so that makes me think that that won't be what he does. I want to see it happen. I want to, I want to be sure that he's not going to be putting him in there against the best lefties uh, in baseball because he just shouldn't be there. Very rarely should he be starting against lefties at all. And now Hayward starting to entering a phase in his career where he's going to be used differently. And and I believe he's accepted that. I believe that's something that he and Ross have talked about. I can't be sure about this. We have asked Ross about it in very different ways uh, during the spring and even now. And, and he, he doesn't, he doesn't want to show his hand really about how he's going to use all these guys and everything. He's, he's been really, uh, uh, he's avoided that. So I think we're just going to have to wait and see how he does that. But I agree with you. If he's, if he's played in the right, if he's used in the right way, and that's what it's all about, right? When we talk about maximizing a roster and being a great manager and knowing it's about putting your players in the best position to succeed. I think if you are playing Jason Hayward for whatever reason it is, you know, out of a sense of loyalty or you don't want to insult the veteran and you're putting him in there against lefties, I think you're doing a disservice to your team as far as trying to win games when you have guys that can crush lefties uh, and, and also just, you know, the, play the outfield and, and you can align your uh, roster and your lineup in a way that you don't have to worry about Hayward getting exposed by lefties. Yeah, I think one thing that's remained constant throughout this is Ross's experience as a player and his observations of kind of the clubhouse dynamics and how important it is to uh, outline expectations for players and define roles as soon as you can. And that's something he said, I think it was last week of when you're dealing with these uncertain, unpredictable times when you have uh, players on big contracts or players nearing the end of kind of prove it contracts or first round picks who haven't proven themselves or these superstar players who are getting close to free agency. His kind of operating philosophy is, you know, I need to talk to these guys and really kind of set a baseline uh, of expectations. And honestly, I'd be shocked if Jason Hayward is like in there for you know, 58 starting 58 out of 60 games. Um, I, I don't know some of this blends together, but I feel like Ross has kind of hinted at this, right? Sade that like, and, and Brett, like when you kind of listen to him every day, when you kind of read between the lines, uh, he wants to have a set lineup. So we're talking about kind of those core four guys, you know, um, but that Hayward, I think will kind of be towards the, bottom of the lineup and kind of really put you know he might be in there most days but I I don't think they're going to uh, kind of force it uh, particularly when we've heard how much Ross has really kind of been asking questions and spending time with the R&D department and asking for more and more information and having this downtime to think through exactly what he wants to do from an X's and O's perspective I'd, I'd really be surprised uh, unless there are, you know, kind of 
injuries or underperformance or overperformance. I, I don't really see Jason Hayward having his name in the lineup every single day. And, and I think you're right that I think he's kind of accepting that. He's always been an unselfish player, a really good dude in the clubhouse, a leader uh, by example. So I, I don't think there would be a major, you know, kind of rift or issue there. Well, and also, like, wouldn't a guy rather do great for 50 games than do kind of okay for 60? I mean, I think that that too is a is a message buy-in that you need to get from guys and that maybe that, again, is another thing that's a little easier to get when you've got these internal transitions that are natural, that are organic, and it's a weird season. I think uh, what a lot of this conversation, not specific to Hayward, makes me think about when I think about the offense um, is how much Ross and the front office and the R&D department are going to have to have so firmly in place these kinds of plans on day one with complete buy-in from players on day one because you don't have time to let things sort themselves out and gather enough data. You know, we know that anything can happen in a month of performance at the plate and it can mean nothing. It can mean nothing, but you're not going to be able to adjust on the fly like you would in a normal season. You have to implement some of these strategic decisions, like just as one example, like we said, Hayward, you know, mostly going to be sitting against lefties, going to be batting down on the order, and we're going to stick with that. Whatever the results look like over the course of the month, so long as like there isn't an obvious injury issue or a mechanical issue or something that, that necessitates an earlier change, you've got to make these decisions right out of the gate and stick with it. Because you're not going to have time, again, to adjust and be like, well, you know, we've gathered a couple months worth of data and now we feel like this year we're going to need to make this transition. You just don't have it. You got to know on day one what you're going to do. Yeah, and, and just speaking of that, of how you need to know and there's this time crunch, that that's what gives me pause when I even say you kind of know what you're going to get from those four guys too, right? Like I, I want to trust them and believe that over a 60 game season they'll be who we know they are but the whole reason the whole reason like we don't panic over an Anthony Rizzo bad stretch during a 162 game season is cuz we know we know Anthony Rizzo will figure it out and get back to who he is so it i know this point has been made by plenty of people but that's what i just keep coming back to that if if they if Rizzo has a bad three weeks, if, if Wilson, you know, is in a funk, if Bryant looks like he did when he started last season and not, you know, what it took him. I, I know he got red hot eventually, but that wasn't until about late April or May. So all these things pop into my mind as to, yes, I trust these people, these four guys to show up. It's just a matter of X, Y, and Z stepping up to make this offense special. <sighs> 60 games just throws everything for a loop and and you can't whether it's waiting for the bullpen to coalesce or waiting for a superstar to get out of an early season funk none of that can really happen anymore you you need to you need to be like you said you need to be if you see something isn't working you may have to be aggressive with with changing it and I just don't know if if you look at the Cubs They've had two off seasons of, you know, no movement, little to no movement. They don't have the type of depth to survive that type of stuff. They have solid depth, and and I think it's a decent enough team over a full season, but I, I, I'm just really struggling to see uh, how you overcome any sort of uh, funks for your core pieces that you really need to rely on in a, in a quick sprint like this. 
Yeah, I've been going back and forth in my head as we work on all these season preview stuff. And Levi Weaver for our power rankings had asked for like departures and additions since last year. And obviously the Cubs were disappointing and it feels like they've been just kind of standing in place and talking about the luxury tax and talking about big trades that never happened. But you lose, you know, a Hall of Fame manager, two former World Series MVPs in Zobrist and Hamels. Uh, former all-star shortstop in Addison Russell, though obviously he had to leave anyways. I mean, Nick Castellanos was like the hottest hitter in baseball for two months last year. They lost maybe, what, their three most reliable relievers last year in Strope, Ciszek, and Kinsler. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, they have not done a lot to <laughs> supplement that. But I, I think at the same time, too, if you were kind of like just waking up and looking at the Cubs, I mean, these guys are – super motivated in terms of you know getting their next contracts uh they're at the right age you know i'm gonna go all joe madden here of like they're that you know prime age you know 28 29 like exactly what you know you kind of expect to be their um peak years here and this is at least what the cubs keep telling themselves i don't know if it'll matter or not but there probably is some value in the fact that they have been around together for a long time that they've had um have experienced success at the highest level under uh enormous pressure and you know i guess anything can happen in 60 games and maybe it does you know kind of surprise us and and come together in a way that you know maybe we didn't didn't see and of course nothing is distributed evenly ever in baseball you know you might see that you can count on the core four to produce well for these 60 games, but it's because like two of them are abysmal in this. And then two of them are crazy awesome in this. And that's, that's kind of what we'll probably see across all of baseball. Um, And I mean, I think we'll leave it there. That's a good, I think that's a good way to set up the offensive conversation for the Cubs here now. So we're three days out from opening day. Uh, rosters are due in two days and we'll have a lot to say about that the next time we chat with you folks later this week and um, you know we'll have that opening day buzz and vibe going when we chat next time because it will actually have arrived uh, opening day in late July in 2020 man it is weird and wild but it is in in many ways wonderful to be having this opportunity to do this and so we thank you guys so much for listening Um, not just today, but in the ramp up to the season. And it's going to be a lot of fun to actually have some baseball to talk about. That isn't a couple fake games against the White Sox that totally don't matter. Get out of here with that stuff. Unless they had won. And then it'd be like, Ooh, these Cubs are ready. Um, so we'll be back to you on Friday. Uh, I am Brett Taylor. You can catch my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That's Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. Catch their stuff and so much more at The Athletic, especially this week in the run-up to the season. Just tons and tons of great stuff to check out. So make sure you do that. If you aren't a subscriber to The Athletic, well, why don't you go to theathletic.com slash onto Waveland, and then you can get a 30-day free trial. I mean, could there really be a better time to do your free trial right now? Because you're going to get a ton of uh, baseball stuff for not only the intro to the season, but like almost half the season. And then you're going to stick around because it's really good. I mean, I'm, I'm biased, but I also really like it. So make sure you check that out and rate and review us, subscribe to the pod, all that good stuff. And we'll see you soon. Take care, folks. <laughs>